Hi, and welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. We hope that our sermons help you further your understanding of the Word of God and guide you into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're tuning in on podcast or radio, we're glad that you're here today. Let's jump into this week's message. If you have your Bible, you can open it to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today, Haggai chapter 1. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word together as we come to this revelation, this gift from you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we need it. We need to be filled by it. And we pray and ask that your spirit would do his work in illuminating it for us today. Bring us understanding and help us to apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got chapter 1. And I'm going to begin with verse 12. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. It can be seated. This summer we've been taking a look together at this short book in your Old Testament. Uh, The message of this prophet came at a very critical time, even though we might say that most of the people who were living at the time didn't recognize the need of it. And I guess in part that's a little informative for you and I. There are moments in my life when God is trying to get my attention, and I should not be oblivious to it. Is God trying to get your attention? Say, well, what was happening in their lives? Well, in a word, futility. Their work was not producing. All their efforts were being Frustrated, costs were rising, rain was missing, crops were failing. And, but all of these things were not yet registering among the people in their hearts. So God then makes it very plain to them by raising up a prophet, who is this man, Haggai, and giving him a message for them. And basically, in a word, if I could paraphrase it, God says to the people, all of this futility that you're experiencing is... For me, I did it. I caused it. And here's why. You've loved yourselves more than you've loved me. And that's dishonoring to me. 
And the evidence for the verdict was really, it was right before their eyes. All God had to do was point out to them and ask, why does my house, which I sent you back to build almost 20 years ago, why does my house lie in ruins, a heap of rubble, while your houses are being paneled? Another way of saying it, you're, you're making them extravagant. So God called the people, remember we looked at this last week, to consider their ways. That is, give some careful attention to how they had been living. And in the New Testament, we, we receive similar admonition. It's not a strange commandment for us. The New Testament tells us to examine yourselves, right? And to test yourselves regularly to see what your faith is made of. And the point is that those who name Jesus or who claim God as to be their God should live as he is just that. They don't live as though they themselves are the Lord. They live as though he is Lord. Okay, so the people of God are not namesake only, but rather those who, as Jesus said, prove to be my disciples. Now, God is abundantly long-suffering, isn't he? And even though we fall short and even though we give our best energies and time and money to things other than him, his posture towards us remain loving. He wounds us, yes, but it's never to destroy us. And as we looked at this first part of this book about two weeks ago, we saw that his wounds are like the surgeon's knife, right? They're meant ultimately to save us. So this is what I want you to know about this first chapter of the book of Haggai. Okay, the people were oblivious to it, but their inner lives were in dire straits. And through many means, culminating in this message, God was intervening for them. Mercifully. And he still does this today. And what it comes down to then is this, is the message has been delivered. Will it be received? Well, in Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, a very astounding thing takes place. Okay, it's not the all too typical response. Take a look at it there, verse 12 again. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, now look at this, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So what happens? Well, from the leadership all the way down to the common people, they hear the word and they're obedient. All too often with Israel, this has not been the case. Think of Israel under Moses or Israel under Jeremiah. At those times and many others, they refused to listen. And they were hardened in their rebellion. So most of the time, they did not believe God. They did not accept his words or his prophet. Okay, but not so here. Instead, we find a people who are humble, repentant, and it's evidenced by their action, right? By what they do. Zerubbabel, Joshua, the people, all of them obeyed. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. So this, a change comes over them. They start talking about God, you see this as being their God, the Lord, their God, had sent Haggai. And, 
And now they're called for the first time as the remnant. Okay. So what happened among the assembly of Israel is nothing short of repentance. Revival. Now I'm going to tell you something. Repentance goes beyond just feeling remorseful. Judas, for example, who betrayed the Lord Jesus, was remorseful for what he had done. The Bible says when he saw that Jesus was condemned, that he changed his mind. And by the way, that's not the Greek word that's used often for repentance. Okay, it's a different word that's used there. And it, a better translation would be he was gripped with remorse. There was a, a, a strong regret that came over him, an emotional response. And what did he do? He tried to give back the silver he had taken because in his own words, he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Matthew 27. So although Judas knew that he had sinned, he never turned to God for forgiveness. His actions, on the other hand, just display a man who is only interested in alleviating his own guilt. Right? He tried to give the money back to rid himself of what he was experiencing. But what he never did was he never tried to save Jesus. He never tried to defend the Lord. Right? He never did anything on his behalf. And unable to cope with his own guilt, he finally takes his own life, perhaps thinking, some think, that in his mind he was trying to atone for his own sin. Well, true repentance always includes remorse. It's never without it. But it doesn't stop there. It always involves a step of obedience. Believing on God. Turning to Him for forgiveness. It involves committing to God's way and doing what's right in his eyes. So it's a change of mind that always leads to a change in action. Right Now, listen, folks. Obedience is not what saves us. And it is a delusion to think that anyone can dutifully fulfill God's commands and check them off at a box, so to speak. So if you just obey, then, then you're good to go. In this regard, you need to know this, that God expects perfection. 100% of the commands, 100% of the time. And that is why none of us can bank our, our own obedience to get us favor with God. No, salvation can only come to us, never through us. Right? God sent to us his son. Jesus fulfills all of God's commands Jesus alone atoned for all our sin. We were hopelessly lost, but he did this in love to restore us to God. And for that reason, because he loved us so, we then commit our lives to him by keeping his commandments. So you see, faith produces obedience. Not an obedience of duty, but an obedience of thankfulness, an obedience of love for the Son of God who died for you. At the same token, we can also then ask is where obedience is absent, is faith real? Faith without works, James said, is dead. Repentance, therefore, is not just a matter of words only or of remorse. Oh, we've sinned. It's a matter of action. And what are you going to do from then on? There's no question here about the faith of the Israelites. They believe God and it was proved by how they acted, right? When the leaders, when the people heard God's message, it says they obeyed and they feared God. Now, 
when God's people are obedient, incredible things start to happen. And the remainder of this passage gives us a portrait. I would just call it the beauty of obedience. That's what you see here. The beauty of what is experienced as people obey God. Okay. So first of all, notice this. The word of God to them. This is verse 13. The word of God to them. After they decide to obey... Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. So when God's people live in obedience, do you see what they receive? Well, here's the first thing. They receive the assurance of his presence. His word to them is, I am with you. Now those words have become a bit diluted from our everyday speech. We often say, I'm with you to people we know, or I'm behind you, I'm for you, even when we know we're limited on our, in our own ability to actually be present. When God, however, says, I'm with you, it means he is right there. He's right there alongside of you. And let me ask you, if you think about it, is there a better word that you could hear from God than that? God telling you, I'm with you. Is that not what helps us get some sleep after a hard day or find peace when we're sitting at the foot of a hospital bed. God's words, I'm with you. You say, well, I'm sure glad that God assured these people that he's with them, but how do I know that he's with me? (laughs) Let me tell you, do you know how God has spoken to us in these last days and the days that we're living in? It's through Jesus, through his son, right? I don't think they're God could have made it any more emphatic to us and that when he sent his son, he bestowed on him this name. You remember? And we always say it at Christmas, but this is one of Jesus' names. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. He's with you. (laughs) He has poured it more fully to us than even they experienced then. And I'll tell you what, it gets only better because, well, Jesus in the flesh could not be physically present with everyone. We saw that in his ministry. We see that in Mark. He moves about. Not everyone can be with him all the time. So after he finishes his work on the cross and is raised to life again, he ascends to heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit, his spirit, the spirit of Jesus to us so that in a very real way, he indwells us. He never leaves us. As Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you to the end. All right, Matthew 28. Uh, so yes, God's has resoundingly assured us with the very same words. But I'm going to tell you something else that's true as well. Okay. As sure as it is that God will never leave you or forsake you, you and I will have more of an awareness of his presence when we are living in obedience to him. You see, that's the difference in our experience as Christians. It's not that God leaves some of us and we don't feel him or know him. It's that many of the times we're just not living in obedience to him. So we have no awareness of his presence. We're not in his word. We're not experiencing him. We're not remembering the gospel as we should. And so we feel a lack of his nearness to us. 
Okay, so you've got the word of God to them. That's verse 13. But second, notice you've got the work of God in them. Look at verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So the first thing they received from God, the blessing of obedience, was that they had an assurance of his presence. The second thing they received from God was this, the enablement of his power. The enablement of his power. Uh, When we commit ourselves to act on his will, listen, God enables us to do it. I read a story earlier this week uh, I think illustrates it well. It's about a a Japanese girl who came to know the Lord and then had to deal with her family's rejection of that. So one day they brought her in and they sat her down and you think of it like this, like the family all gathered around and, and her in the middle. And it was a confrontation. And the father, being Japanese culture, highly respected, uh, was the one who said, we don't want any more of this. You get rid of it. And with an extreme hatred in his words. She said, uh, they had never been so united against me before. I was heartsick and desolate. She said, uh, my brothers were convinced I would yield before the pressure. They were eyeing me confidently, waiting to hear me acknowledge my error and promise to give up my Christian friends and the services at church. But she goes on to say, but they did not know me well. Rather, they did not know the keeping power of my God. A moment before, a terrible fear had seized me as I considered the very real possibility that I might be faced with renouncing Christ or being turned out in the street. Now, I was engulfed in a strange peace. The trembling ceased, and I was calm and relaxed. She said, I was actually glad they were confronting me. In my own feeble way, I had been trying to witness to my family, but had never been able to say more than a few words to them about Jesus Christ. Words so timidly spoken, they dropped on unhearing ears. Now I had an opportunity to share what I believed. And at that moment, I was grateful for it. And I just, and she went on to tell, I could never do that. I could never forsake Jesus. He saved me. And she stood up and she said, She stood for God, but you see what, it was God's enablement, the keeping power of God. And isn't it spoken by Jesus that don't worry if you're in that hour, if you're in that moment when you're faced in a difficult situation, I will give you the words to say. It's by his enablement. So the tasks that God calls us to do, like this woman, they're not easy. But time and time again, God comes through for his people when they stand for him, when they do what he's called them to do. Do you remember Second Chronicles 16, verse 9? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. For what? To give strong support. There it is. To those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now, the call to obey is not an easy thing. And we cannot limit our obedience to only times of convenience. 
God doesn't say to them, well, you know, I know, I know things are really difficult right now. Why don't you just wait? And when, you know, when you get a little more money in your pocketbook and, and uh, you know, the rain comes back, then go ahead and, and do the work of the temple. I mean, think about the moment when God called them to obey. It was a hard-pressed season. Things were scarce. Drought would set in. There was a lot ahead of them. It wasn't easy. It was going to challenge their trust. And what God calls us to do his work, it's going to, it's going to put our faith out there. But obedience comes with this promise. God will come through for us. Do you remember what the words that Jesus gave to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. It's what you need. But I'm sure they were asking questions like, well, how in the world are we going to get this work of the temple done, right? That's a fair question for the leaders at that time. And we can ask ourselves similar questions. How will we evangelize our community? How will we see that happen in us? I mean, that's really the question I, I wrestle with is how is God going to work in me to make me an evangelist here in this town? How is God going to build the body of Christ? How will how will we fulfill our part in taking the gospel to the nations? These are surmountable, big tasks. But do you know what the word was that came to Zerubbabel? <clears throat> Haggai's partner in prophecy, if I can call him that, because they lived at the same time and they both ministered together, was a man named Zechariah. His book comes after Haggai. Okay? He also prophesied at this time. And he gave a word to Zerubbabel. He told them this, and I know you know these words. He said, not by might, nor by power, but by my, what is it? Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's how. Not by your might, not by your power, but by my spirit. So the blessing of his presence, the blessing of his power, God's power working through us, that's what you experience when we live in obedience to him. Now, do you see how this ends with a date? Look at this, right? And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. It started in chapter 1, verse 1, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. So same month, first day, now we're on the 24th day. So Haggai's message was delivered three weeks prior to what we just read about here. Now this was not a delayed response. It's, I think it's quite the contrary. Actually, I think it's quite a remarkable turnaround when you think of it. In only three weeks, they were ready to start building. I think that shows how serious they were because you've got to think about what needed to be done. Rubble needed to be cleared out. Supplies needed to be gathered. Work crews needed to be organized. A lot had to be done, and in three weeks, they were ready. Okay. But the question I wonder is, why do you think they wrote the day down that they started the work? Because the day that God's people act obediently in God's word is a day worth remembering. And I think that's why it's there. 
I pray for days like that in the short span of time that we have together. When you really think about it, that we as a church gather together, we have a short span of time. But I pray that we experience days like that. And I pray that you yourself experience days like that. You may be in need of a day like that, a day when you've determined, you know what, I am getting my priorities straight. God's work is coming first. God, you matter most. So would you pray with me? Let's pray together about what you and I need to do to be obedient to him for the work that he's called us to do. Lord Jesus, we do not want to be unaware or caught off guard about you speaking to us, about you and your words and your mission and your the task that you've left to us. Well, we don't want to take it lightly. We don't want to carry on and be lost in our own worlds and our own trifles, Lord. There's so many things that we get absorbed with. And little by little, your work and your word and drifts off and falls away in our life. But Lord, we have just one, one life to live. And Father, we don't want to waste it. So I pray that you would lead us on, show us where we need to act obediently on you. And we ask, oh God, we know that as we do so, you will come through for us. You will assure us with your presence in a real and tangible way. You will fill us with power to do the work. So, Father, complete in us the work that you have begun. You have called us to your Son. Now, O Lord, fulfill your good words to us. May we see it. May we rejoice and give thanks to you. Bring these days in our lives, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the Kirkoven Evangelical Free Church of Kirkoven, Minnesota. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please email us at kirkefree at gmail.com. That's K-E-R-K-E-free at gmail.com. <laughs>